Hi, I'm Mark Roderman. Coming up on Front Row, North Carolina's budget receives bipartisan support. We'll get an update on Medicaid expansion. And does the GOP have Trump fatigue? Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by. Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Donna King, Editor-in-Chief of Carolina Journal, Political Analyst Joe Stewart, Colin Campbell, Editor of the North Carolina Tribune, and Nelson Dollar, Senior Policy Advisor to North Carolina Speaker House. Nelson, let's begin with the latest on the state budget. Oh, yes. Uh, the House and the Senate passed a budget this week by wide bipartisan majorities. The highlights include raises for state employees and teachers, additional bonus funding for state retirees, more funds for very critical uh, school safety initiatives that are underway, some historic investments in transportation where we're now going to be dedicating a share of the sales tax to our roads and bridges, uh, additional over $800 million that's going to be moving in to water and sewer projects, infrastructure projects all across the state, and a major commitment uh, to high-tech economic development. Uh, those funds for those projects that have been announced in, in recent months are in this budget. They will generate literally thousands of high-paying jobs in North Carolina. And just as important, we've put by put behind a total now of $4.75 billion in the state's rainy day fund and taken other funds that we had and put them into both inflationary adjustments to the previous budget and reserves to next year. We want to make sure that we are very cautious with our funding when you have inflation on the rise plus the prospect of, of a recession. And, and just to be sure, uh, we also have uh, okay. income tax rates cut cuts in the budget, but those are from last year's budget. Okay, what struck you about this budget, Joe? Well, the most important thing is that the Republican leadership does deserve some credit for socking away so much of the money. We had an infusion of one-time funds as a result of the economic prosperity of the state. State revenue collections were well above what was projected. But setting aside that money, almost $8 billion total for various reserves, including some money for inflationary pressures that might come about as a result of government programs or projects that have costs overrun just as a result of inflation of prices being higher. So I think the fact that this re this Republican legislature has been very prudent in setting aside money, but we don't know what next year may hold. We may have an all-in recession that creates an enormous amount of difficulty in North Carolina. Now we have some cash in the state's coffers to handle those situations. Colin. Yeah, so uh, I think you're right about that. And that was the surprise to me was initially there was a lot of talk about additional tax cuts on top of the tax cuts that are already set to take effect. That seems to have fizzled, perhaps in light of some of the bad economic news we're seeing and a desire to, to save more rather than uh, put some additional tax cuts in effect that would then impact the budget a few years out. Donna, will this be a veto-proof majority that will vote for this? 
I think so, and I, we, they've, they've both chambers have already passed it, but I think one thing that's important to talk about in the savings is there's some histor- history here. Uh, back in 2008, 9, 10, leading up to the last recession, North Carolina got Democratic Governor Bev Perdue and a Democrat-controlled uh, legislature really ran into some trouble. We had a $3.5 billion shortfall. We're talking about furloughs and cutting, cutting salaries for state employees. It was devastating. And I think that this legislature really t- took a look at that history and tried to learn from those lessons and prepare for what may inevitably be another recession if we're not already there. Now, some final thoughts in about a minute. Well, I think it's, it's very crucial what we're doing. We're handling the most critical functions of government, getting our employees, teachers, additional uh, pay. We're focusing on the state's infrastructure, focusing on uh, the recruitment of high-paying, high-tech jobs. So we're, this is a budget that's structured to move North Carolina forward in a very responsible way. Any final thoughts, my friend? Yeah, of course, every time you give away free popsicles, somebody's mad about the stick. State employees wish that some of these resources could have been used for additional higher level pay. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, this is a prudent budget and it's good for North Carolina overall. Okay, I want to move on and talk about Medicaid expansion. Talk to us about it. What's the deal? What's the status? Yeah, so this has been a bit of fascinating uh, political change to see. For years, we've heard talking, the same talking points from Democrats and Governor Roy Cooper in support of Medicaid expansion. Uh, then early this session, we heard from Senate Leader Phil Berger saying much of the same stuff and pushing forward a Medicaid expansion proposal. And then in the last week or so, we've seen the House sort of come on board with a different version. But even though uh, we're seeing some unity on whether this is a good idea among leadership, there's a big disagreement on exactly how to do it. And I think the result is we're not going to be doing it anytime soon. The Senate wants to add some other health care related regulatory change provisions uh, in there and doesn't want to do just a Medicaid expansion bill. The House wants to do just a Medicaid expansion bill, but one that uh, really wouldn't take effect until a final vote in December. And there's no agreement there, no Donna, real negotiations. change of heart by Republicans? Well, I think that... that they try to take the issue off the table? Uh, no, well, I think that there's a different landscape right now. One of the things that a lot of them have mentioned is that the Biden administration has put a sweetener in there, so just sort of a, you know, uh, they, they cover the startup costs, so to speak, an extra uh, $1.2 billion to get it rolling. Um, but I think that what we're also seeing is that if, if they don't do something about it now, the, some of these leaders say the Biden administration is just going to take over and do it for us without the work requirements, a lot, without a lot of the priorities that we want to, we want to see. I mean, I think one of the most notable things is that the Senate's plan would take effect immediately, and it would have some of that increase supply in health care. It, it scales back some of the certificate Blue of need Blue laws. Blue Shield's been pushing this pretty hard, too. Actually, I think, well, Blue, Blue Cross Blue Shield has, but I think the hospital associations have leaned more toward the House version, which doesn't include some of those regulatory controls uh, being scaled back. Uh, but, but one of the things that we heard from Democrats on the floor is they said, are you setting this up for failure? Are you making these requirements so difficult that they can't possibly by, be met by Secretary Kinsley and he's going to come back in December and you're going to go, well, no, nope, we're not going to have a vote on it. But Speaker Moore has said, look, we're going to have a vote up or down one way or another in December on this. And they've set these parameters and sent Secretary Kinsley out to go negotiate it with the federal government and bring them back a proposal. Nelson, talk to us about the speaker's priorities for Medicaid expansion. Well, what the speaker said, he's put into the bill uh, guardrails, making sure that we pursue uh, work requirements in there. And what the speaker wants to do and what his caucus wants to do is to ensure that they know all the parameters of the plan, give the uh, secretary the opportunity to, to go to Washington to negotiate the best deal possible for North Carolina and then have the General Assembly vote on that and know exactly what they are voting for, 
what they are what they are getting. So the speaker wants to make sure we have the appropriate guardrails in place and make sure that the General Assembly knows exactly what it is going to be enacted. Well, where does this stand between Berger and Moore right now? Well, the negotiations as this taping is going on are ongoing. We will see where they go. But I do think it's very significant that both chambers have now voted on plans that do include Medicaid expansion. They include some other differing things. And it's those other issues out there that are really probably at the, at the core of the challenges. Joe, this is an expansion of an entitlement though, right? Yeah, absolutely. 600,000 more people will be brought onto the rolls. I mean, it's a pretty significant advancement in terms of this particular public policy. I think it was 40% of North Carolinians would receive their health care through these federally managed and paid for programs. There's always that uh, peril that somehow you're creating a program that you can't ever undo. At, at some point, we could say if the reimbursement rates from the federal government become too low, that we would cancel participation in the program. That's very hard to do politically, particularly when you're never talking really about... It happens, does it? it? Well, no. I mean, it, hey, you know, a government program never goes away, does it? Well, that's, <laughs> well, we're trying to finally end that buggy whip regulation, but it's still pro problematic. There may be a few buggy whips still out there. Final thoughts, Colin, about um, 30 I think, seconds. I think you're going to see a lobbying full court press on this in the next few months. Just this morning, uh, Coach Roy Williams, formerly of UNC, came out in favor of Medicaid expansion. Uh, likely some more action on this, but maybe not until January. Okay, I want to move on and talk about Donald Trump. I think some donors, Joe, are having uh, Trump fatigue. You know, absolutely. There's a great Aesop's fable about the frogs wanting a king, and they beseech the gods, and the gods are amused by this, and throw a log into the pond, and the frogs are scared at first, but then lose their fear and say, no, we want a king that takes action. So the gods send a stork, and the stork starts to eat the frogs. And so the moral of that is when you seek change of your condition, make sure it's for the better. Is this so, Animal Planet or what? Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> to, to some extent, yes, it is Animal Planet. But I think in this instance, it's important to remember that in politics, it's just true that causes and candidates have half-lives. And at some point, voters are just not as enthusiastic about somebody or something over time. Donald Trump, as a former president, has still been very conspicuous. The history in America is that former presidents go away and they don't raise a lot of fuss about this, that, or the other thing. But I think the fact that Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, is now emerging as a possible rival to Trump gives people that are somewhat disaffected. The He's tied with him in New Hampshire. The, the polling numbers Early. are good. DeSantis has a huge war chest for his gubernatorial reelection. right now. He wants to win the state by 5% so that he can outdo Trump's margin in 2020 in that race. And so I think people can say if they're a little unhappy or dissatisfied with Donald Trump, they have someone else now that they can align with. And the money people are really concerned. If the midterms go as badly for Democrats as we think they will, the call for Biden to announce whether or not he's running for re-election pretty soon after this election, I think, will be tremendous. And at that point, Democrats are going to want to know whether or not they have a candidate that can run and win in 2024 if Biden doesn't seek re-election. So Republicans will want a candidate they feel stand a good chance of winning the presidents if that dynamic comes to pass. Donna, is, is, is Trump too bombastic for suburban women? Um, I, I think that there is a, a large swath of the Republican Party who really like the policies. They they want that uh, that you know hard and fast rules on on taxes. economics, low taxes, the China policy, America first, all of those things immigration. are policies. Immigration uh, that not just Republican women and and you know suburban women, but all Republicans. I think your your fatigue level with Trump depends on how close to the circus you sit. So, for example, a lot of folks really like him. They like that he says what he means. They like like that he speaks off the cuff, that he seems relatable, he seems like somebody they know. And that is a group that will probably not really warm up to DeSantis unless they feel like their other choice is a Democrat. Colin, do you think the January 6th uh, hearings have hurt Donald Trump? 
That's what I'm uh, getting the sense for. What I think a lot of people are watching is, does the revelations that came out in the past week result in any sort of criminal charges? Because I think that could be a game changer for whether Trump is a viable 2024 candidate or whether DeSantis ends up the sort of uh, less criminally involved alternative for people who like that brand of politics but maybe don't want all the baggage that comes with Trump. Do you think there'll be a contested primary in 2024 and a Republican primary for president, my friend? I do, and it de- but it depends on where Trump is positioned. I do think that, that, that Trump is in the lead position. DeSantis Nationally, has, he's in the lead position. He, nationally, he's in the lead um, uh, at right now, but he is taking a lot of hits. He has a mixed record in his primary endorsements. Some states he's been very successful in, other states not. Uh, the January 6th commission is taking uh, a bit of a toll. And voters in general, you know, they it, the further you move away from 2020, the more their focus is going to be on 22 this year and obviously 20. 24. And I think voters are looking for maybe some newer candidates that share their values, but maybe don't have the baggage. That's a great point. Do you think that both parties are looking for generational change, Joe? I think that's absolutely the case. I think if we learned anything from the Donald Trump phenomena is that voters sometimes want something dynamic and different in their uh, uh, choices for elective office. Donald Trump just happened to fill that bill in 2016. But I think that's a new phenomenon, maybe another celebrity, maybe Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, maybe that's who we need. But I, I think that's going to be what voters are looking okay. for. Okay. Now I want to talk about sure. the Supreme Court uh, week. It was a blockbuster it was. week for the Supreme Court. Sure, absolutely. There's some really big rulings uh, from the U.S. Supreme Court uh, this week. Among them was the ruling uh, about the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, they say, does not have the authority to rule broadly over that uh, coal and gas industry over the uh, and their authority. Authority under the Clean Act, uh, Clean Air Act doesn't enable these uh, bureaucratic system to. They were create. essentially making law, correct? That's what they're saying. That's what the justices said. That you know, you you have authority, but you really need you have to run some of these regulatory uh, policies, like the Clean Air Act, all of those things that go through. You have to run it through Congress. That the system exists for a reason, and that what the EPA was ha- was exhibiting broad overreach in its regulation of the industry. Now, this really is a devastating decision for things like the Green New Deal and Biden. Uh, you know, uh, green climate change based uh, policy. So they're saying, you know, Congress has a voice in this and the Supreme Court would agree with that. Uh, another big one is the Supreme Court's ruling on um, in favor of the Biden administration against Trump's uh, stay in Mexico policy. That remain in Mexico policy comes the same week. I believe it's the same week as 53 migrants uh, died in a box truck. Uh, So, you know, there really is, this is a big issue. This is something that I think is going to play a much larger role in 2022, 2024 than a lot of what we're seeing in mainstream media. People are really paying attention to this. Um, So how this policy works is not what the the, uh, Supreme Court said, look, we can't set set the policy. We can only rule on what's in front of us. But they were ignoring it anyway, weren't they? Uh, I think mostly, yes. Yes, they were. And and I think that the, the Supreme Court justices said, you know, this is a policy issue. This isn't for us to tell you what the policy should be. Uh, but they did rule on Biden's side and the remain in Mexico policy itself. Then, of course, there's constitutional protection 
on uh, praying on the football field for a, a football coach, Joe Kennedy. It so, was voluntary, and he, he, he yes. was a silent prayer, right? It was a silent prayer. He knelt in the 50-yard line of the football field at a school, and he lost his job. And what they're saying is he wasn't forcing anyone to do it. He wasn't even speaking out loud. Uh, this really is being seen as religious freedom advocates, as, as a real victory in a decision for religious freedom. Now, so what struck you about these rulings? And by the way, did you see that the president was overseas and uh, questioned the integrity of the Supreme Court? Yes, and you're not supposed to talk about domestic issues while you're overseas. You know, the, the, the Europeans will criticize us. But enough. you can question a ruling, but questioning integrity, a lot of people think was out of bounds. I think it's out of bounds, but it is certainly true that um, this is one of the most consequential court terms that we have seen in decades. All the very wide range of issues that Donna talked about and uh, religious liberty among them, uh, the ruling, as you talked about last week, about religious schools not being discriminated against in funding. If you're a public employee like a coach, you can express your religious beliefs. And there was a third case there that you can't fly, if you fly everybody else's flag on the, in, in, in Boston, that you can't discriminate against a Christian flag also being able to, to fly from those flag posts as well. The court is clearly saying that uh, it, you go hand in glove, the religious freedoms, you, the government cannot establish uh, an official religion, but neither can they keep religious people from expressing their beliefs in the public square. Joe, is Trump's lasting legacy a conservative Supreme Court? Absolutely, and we're going to have this court for decades, undoubtedly, uh, given the relative youth of some of the newer members that are serving. I, I think there are some fundamental issues here. One is judicial temperament does have a tendency to mirror political ideology, and people, I think, sometimes misinterpret the court's opinions to be political when it's actually just a representation of a majority of the justices legal philosophies. And I think in the instance of the case relative to the EPA, the interesting thing is here, having worked 10 years in okay. a state, state government executive branch agency, I used to believe that it was possible for government to function despite the tension between the legislative and executive branch. I now think it exists, it works because of that tension. And so we need Colin, to resolve that Colin, issue. Colin, jump in here quickly. Yeah, the interesting thing that we'll to see from this will be as, as we see more and more uh, court rulings along party lines, is the perception of the court look more partisan? Do people think this is just as partisan as Congress or anything else? Or do they keep the sort of respect and Or do above elections the fray? have consequences? Exactly. Okay, let's go to the most underreported story of the sure, week, Donna. Sure, well, back to the high court. Uh, this week, the um, U U.S. Supreme Court said that they will take North Carolina's redistricting case. Uh, and this really is an important case. It really is going to establish whether the elections clause in the Constitution, which says that the leg state legislatures uh, control the manner in which elections are held, time, date, you know, and place and manner, uh, that is what Speaker Tim Moore, North Carolina's House Speaker, is saying, is arguing, saying that the North Carolina Supreme Court stepping in, taking control over our congressional maps was a violation of the Constitution. So that case will be hear, heard by the North Carolina, by the U.S. Supreme Court. There are several justices who indicated well, last year. Happen? In the fall. They should okay. be coming back October. after their summer break. Uh, so, and there are already some justices who said they really want to examine this particular case. 
Joe. Gen Z's rising political influence, uh, the debates raging on the Roe decision out of the Supreme Court. Well, it's interesting. It's their platform that I find most interesting, TikTok. 60% What age is our Gen Z? Gen Z is uh, 1997 to 2012, those those years for their birth. Babies. But they are 60% of TikTok's (laughs) base, and that is the platform where they're having a discussion and debate on these public policy issues. It's currently 10% of the electorate, but when you combine Z and millennials, you're talking about 65 million Americans, the largest voting block ever in the history of this country, as they become more and more politically engaged, they will be a force to be reckoned with. Okay, underreported, my friend. So uh, one of uh, North Carolina's blue laws fell in the last week, or is about to when the the governor potentially signs the bill. Uh, This is the law involving uh, bars that serve liquor but not food. You go into one of those... What are blue laws? uh, Alcohol restrictions uh, in... in States like North Carolina have been around for, for decades. Um, this one involves uh, private bars where you can get liquor but not food. Um, you currently have to be a member, which usually just means filling out, a, yeah, filling out a form, paying like $2, but it's a hassle for the bar owners, and it's a, another reason people might choose not to go there. So that requirement is being done away with. Now you can just walk in there, order a, a cocktail, and not have to pay 2 bucks and put your name on a form. Nelson, underreported, please. Uh, why wage inf- inflation is likely to be with us for decades, and the answer is demographics. Uh, urbanization post-World War II has led, led to plummeting um, birth rates. So rapid industrialization saw folks abandon rural life where kids were actually your retirement plan to you move to the big city and a high rise and a child becomes a luxury. So a lot of countries now have basically a terminal demography. In other words, their populations have already reached their peaks and they are aging beyond the ability to recover. Countries like Japan, China, Germany, Italy, Russia. And the global implications are truly enormous. Uh, We are losing now around 400,000 workers, working age people each month. That's going to continue to rise to over 900,000 per month globally well into the mid uh, 2030s. And wage inflation is here to stay. Joe, back to Gen Z. What are their top issues? Well, they they are often referred to by demographers as social justice warriors, that they feel very passionately about issues. In fact, as consumers, they make selections of products and services based on the brand identity, the social identity of those uh, manufacturers and and service providers. I think we're going to find that they have a diversity of opinions, a very diverse population. One in five Gen Gen Z are Hispanic Americans. And so it's probably going to be a fuller range of issue positions, but they seem to be a lot more progressive on issues like abortion guns, and school choice. Okay, I want to go to the lightning round. Who's up and who's down this week, Donna? All right, up, I'm going to say the number of North Carolina voters deciding to change their political affiliation. So about 40,000 North Carolina voters have changed their affiliation uh, since January. Almost half of them have become unaffiliated. Uh, The uh, Democratic Party lost 20,000 affiliated voters. 5,000 of those decided to go Republican. The Republican Party lost 10,000. And, you know, if unaffiliated voters are the largest growing block. And what we're talking about, they're Gen the Z, they're a perfect now. example. They're, yeah. you know, much more unaffiliated. Okay. Uh, my down, mm-hmm. uh, felon voting. So the state Supreme Court denied a request from plaintiffs to expedite uh, the legal process to, uh, to get felons able to vote, even if they haven't served out the remainder of their, of their term. 
Joe? Yeah, uh, following up on Donna's up, uh, a million more people registered Republican across 43 states in this country, principally suburban voters who had sort of turned away from the Republican Party as a result of frustration with Donald Trump are now coming back. So maybe that bodes well for suburban uh, districts where Republicans are running in tight races. Who's down? Uh, happy people. The Gallup poll of worldwide satisfaction now shows for the 16 years, it's as more people are sad and worried and bothered all across the planet than we've seen in, in two almost two decades. So it's clearly kind of a down time. So my down is how down the down time is. Independents and Hispanics are peeling off the Democratic policies too, aren't they? We're, we're, see, we're seeing Hispanic voters increasingly as they become more active in American politics, identifying as Republicans at record numbers, which is not uncommon for second generation Americans across all. Are they more conservative? Well, you, you see a lot more of uh, uh, Hispanic population within evangelical churches, maybe leaving the Catholic Church to become evangelical Protestants, very family centric, very entrepreneurial, believe in the American dream of working hard and getting the benefit of it. Colin. My up, uh, also a group that's very happy this week, the North Carolina hemp industry, after some uncertainty about whether they'd be legal uh, come, ju yeah, come July. Uh, Last-minute deal uh, in the House and Senate. The Senate kind of blinked on the uh, uh, standoff they'd had for a couple weeks past the bill. Now they're legal. Uh, my down this week is the North Carolina Green Party. Uh, they'd collected enough signatures to get their Senate candidate on the ballot, possibly taking some votes from Democrat Sherry Beasley. But the State Board of Elections voted this week along party lines not to put them on the ballot just yet because there's potential criminal misconduct involving the ballot signature campaign. Nelson, who's up and who's down this week? Well, up, happy teens. Uh, with all the labor shortages, uh, companies are increasing their pay and their recruitment of teens to come join the workforce. Uh, unemployment among teens in the last two years is at the lowest level since it's been in, since the 1950s. What you tell me about babysitters or what they're getting, $30 an oh, hour? Yeah, babysitters, 30 bucks an hour, if, if you can get a discount from them, you know. To, <laughs> so, uh, we'll see. Uh, down, uh, the sad, sad uh, uh, scenario there, consumer confidence. The conference board this week announced that consumer confidence in June reached its lowest level since the beginning of the Biden administration, and the expectations index for the economy dropped sharply to a new nine-year low. Donna, headline next week. Uh, I think Governor Cooper is going to veto a bill that was passed by the General Assembly that requires sheriffs to cooperate with uh, uh, ICE. What's the rationale behind that? Well, I think this, this has been coming for a really long time. It's had several iterations, a little bit, little bit of change. But both chambers passed this week a bill that requires sheriffs, if they've got someone right. in custody uh, of a of serious felony, domestic violence, they have to check to see their Joe, status. headline. Budget battles concluded. All attention focuses on can Republicans in the legislature get to supermajorities. Headline next week. Uh, Cooper is probably going to sign that budget, I think. Okay. <laughs> Headline next week. General Assembly leaves town. Happy fourth. Where are you <laughs> headed? <laughs> to the beach. Okay. Great job, panel. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. Have a great fourth of July. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Major funding for Front Row was provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by. Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery.
A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.